Welcome back to the Retail Darwin Podcast. Today is our finale episode for season three. Um, I'm your host, co-host, Taylor West, and I'm here with Karina Donoso. Hi, everyone. We have um, some exciting listening in store. So Karina, do you want to tell everybody about what Shop Talk is and what they're about to hear? Yeah. So today's episode is a live recording from our Shop Talk event, which was how long ago did that happen now? Is it two weeks ago? Maybe two weeks. Yeah. Okay. The Shop Talk event was really inspired and it's hosted by the Retail Darwin podcast crew, which is super exciting. And we've launched into this new venture because we wanted to bring our community together in person. We felt that this was such a relative topic, retail being the topic, of things that we heard our community wanted to hear more of. And so we thought, what better to hear from incredible founders that are doing it today in the industry? And ironically, they were all female, which happens to be 80% of small businesses. And so you'll hear from founders from Little Word Project, Project Polly, Baked by Melissa. Baked by Melissa. We had the owner of Sleepy Tie and Kata and... All moderated by the incredible Ariel Foxman, general manager of Seaport. And the energy and the excitement from the audience was contagious, and we're so excited for you guys to have um, a first row seat to our first ever panel event. So, and to wrap up this season, we also wanted to gear you guys up, buckle up, drum roll, please, (laughs) in celebration of this shop, Shop Talk event, we are excited to launch our season four, we'll be exclusively with founders of today's retail industry. And we can't believe the lineup that we have in store. And we are so excited for you guys to hear from these incredible founders. So thank happy you guys. Happy listening. Yeah, happy listening. And thank you guys for all your support. Are we on? Is this happening? Yeah. Oh. Okay, this is happening. Woo. Woo. Guys, thank you so much for coming. And fun fact, we're recording this. It's a podcast, so don't swear. Um, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us to kick off Shop Talk, a new panel series from the Retail Darwin podcast. I'm Karina Donoso, joined by my amazing co-host, Taylor West. Um, and we're super excited to have you guys here with us. For those who don't know about the podcast, I'd like to invite you all right now to take out your cell phones, like, and subscribe. We're on Apple and Shopify, if you aren't already. Spotify. Spotify, not Shopify. I'm here to talk about retail. (laughs) Now you know what I do for a living. Um, And the, the podcast was created to embark on conversations about the evolution of retail. For those in the industry, you know the ebbs and flows of the business and the constantly ever trends that are changing. And we need to keep up to date with them. This panel is an extension of those conversations. Taylor and I are so excited to be having this with so many of the leading professionals that we get to work in day in and day out. In tonight's discussion, you will hear from these retail founders about the company's journey and why retail is an essential piece in their business. Fun fact, you ready? We always have a fun fact for those that follow us in our podcast. You ready? Yep. 80% of small businesses are female owned. It's a big fact. So, it's not ironic that this evening you will hear from five whom I've had the great joy of working with. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, So, this panel will be recorded, as Karina mentioned, um, and it actually concludes our third season of the Retail Darwin podcast, which is super exciting. 
We've hosted guests like Business of Fashion, Glossy, um, and The Real Real to explore the evolution of retail. Tonight is extra special because it serves as a teaser for the kickoff of our fourth season, which will be all about founder features. So you'll be able to hear about um, hear from all of the best top founders in the retail industry today about what they're up to, what the future holds, and their in their interesting journeys alike. Um, so with that said, we have a lot in store for you tonight. Um, no pun intended, store. <laughs> Before we get started, we do want to take a moment um, to recognize our amazing moderator and our incredible guests. Um, and I would be amiss to not shout out our incredible team over to my right here, Ryan and Nick, who Woo! run our audio for the podcast, and this wouldn't be possible without you. All right, so tonight's discussion is in great hands. Um, we are so lucky to have it moderated by Ariel Foxman, Seaport's own general manager and former editor-in-chief of InStyle magazine. Um, we also welcome Melissa Beneshai, founder of Baked by Melissa. Yes, in case you're living under a rock, she has the most amazing cupcakes in the world. Um, the New York City-based brand is famous for its handcrafted bite-sized cupcakes and is actually popping us popping up with us here at The Current, just down the road, um, like many of our founders tonight. Our next panelist is Kasha Davis. Woohoo! Founder of Kata, a sustainable, responsibly created clothing brand that designs wardrobe essentials to empower the modern woman. Kasha is also the owner and executive chairman of PF Flyers. Our third panelist is Adriana Kerrig, founder of The Little Words Project. Actually, funny story, Karina stalked this company on Instagram for four years <laughs> and one day reached out to inquire about expanding to the Boston market. Now Adriana has four store locations and is expanding to her fifth just down the street next week in the seaport. So to come check it out. And we are joined by Rachel Shifter, founder and inventor of Sleepy Tie. As the founder, as the founder of Parlor Salon, Rachel has been in the beauty space for over 12 years, making a Sleepy Tie's invention a natural extension of what she does best, creating beautiful hair. When she isn't managing those businesses, she also has a successful brand studio where she works with clients like Reebok and Samsonite on branding, photography, and marketing. Thank you for being here. Our final panelist is Nikki Bandera, founder of Project Polly. Project Polly works with 27 charitable organizations, the majority of which are based in Boston, and 20% of those proceeds of every colored hat or beanie sold is donated to an organization that betters the community. Nikki is a branding genius and opened her first location with us at The Current. And if you haven't been there, you need to go. It's the most incredible, immersive experience. So thank you. And a moment for the boots. Yeah, right? Yeah. Celebrate the boots. So let's get, well, you already did a massive applause, but let's do another one. And We're so excited. This is very exciting. Woo-hoo. And Ariel, I'm going to kick it off to you to get the party started. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for being here on a wet and rainy but beautiful seaport night. We have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, truth be told, I shared the questions with the panelists ahead of time so that we could have a really robust and deep conversation. Um, so thank you for taking the time to study those and, and uh, 
give it the thought that it requires. I want to start on a really positive note. I want to start with happy. We have a lot of ground to cover with retail, but this is called shop talk. When it comes to brick and mortar, what is really making you happy? What's really working in your store these days? We're going to start with you. Hi. <laughs> hey. Um, I think that for us, it's been able to show people a cohesive experience, that cohesive poly experience. Um, and also just having conversations every day. Like Karina mentioned, we work with 27 different charitable organizations. Each color hat goes to a different one. Um, being able to talk to people that walk in every day about the organizations that we represent has been absolutely amazing. And, um, and also just show them what it, what it feels like, you know, like our, our whole kind of fashion forward look that's something that's really charitable um, doesn't have to be boring. You know, it can be fashion forward. So it's, it's been really awesome for us. Rachel, how about yourself? Personally, for me, I have a salon that's a brick and mortar. So I love, you know, providing incredible experiences for people. I would say that we have a pop-up shop right now over at Seaport, um, The Current. And, you know, I invented a product called Sleepy Tie. It's, it's incredible. I love it. You should check it out. But I think for me, it's been like... I have so much gratitude for everyone who supported us online and who's bought our product and took a chance on learning about who we are and what we do. And so to be able to meet everybody in person and show them my gratitude, you know, face to face has just been an incredible experience. And so coming through the pandemic, right, this is something that we were thirsting for, right? This human interaction and folks coming into this shop, um, giving us feedback, giving us ideas. Um, so much has changed about retail through the pandemic. Um, Melissa, I'd love to understand from you, when you think about what you always thought you knew about retail and what was sort of the conventional wisdom about how people shop, what they expect, what's changed so dramatically since the pandemic? Well, well, have who here has ever had baked by Melissa? <laughs> Cool, because we're new here. Well, that's awesome. Honestly, it hasn't been long since the pandemic, and our stores have remained open for the most part. We closed for about six months from March to June. But one thing that really remains the same is the experience, you know? And for those of you who have experienced Baked by Melissa, you know. It's an experience. Like, it makes you feel like a kid again, it, it triggers your emotions and it's the most beautiful thing to me to watch. And brick and mortar gives us the opportunity to introduce ourselves to our new customers and bring them into our tie-dye world so they can continue to get Baked by Melissa. You could go to bakedbymelissa.com and pick out whatever you want, send the perfect gift, and choose your arrival date. And I think that when you walk into our store, that's a different type of experience. That's for you, and that makes you happy. So, Kasha, how about yourself? What's changed for you through the pandemic? Well, I launched Kata during the pandemic, which is, was not an ideal time, but when <laughs> really is an ideal time to launch a brand. Um, so we really focused on digital marketing first because that was our only option at the time. Um, I realized that 
unless you have millions of dollars to invest in a direct-only brand, digital marketing is absolutely not going to move the needle for you on its own. So um, being in physical retail stores, having that consumer experience, allowing the consumers to touch and feel the fabric, understand what they're purchasing has, has really, really helped us. Um, and so we're going to continue to invest in that part of the marketing side of things. So in, you make an interesting point about digital marketing, right? Looking for ways to connect with your customers. And uh, there's so many different ways and, and different strategies. Um, and you, you are being much more targeted about it. How are you thinking about that with Little Word Project and the way in which you're introducing a new concept to so many new people? Yeah. Um, well, I think it kind of ties in with the previous question about what you know previously has been thought about retail and it's this concept of you have to have a presence to have a presence if that makes sense like you have to already be established to have a brick and mortar store i think that was completely flipped upside down for us uh, we opened our first retail store last november we haven't even been in brick and mortar retail for a year and we're already going to have you know line of sight to six stores by the end of the year um, so what that shows is that it worked and it worked without a major you know long established brand, right? It was something that we could kind of pop up these stores, meet our customer where they are and give them that experience that leads to a, an uptick in dot-com sales as a result. So we've seen that expansion come as a result of, you know, establishing ourselves in these brick and mortar locations. Um, and, you know, I think I forget completely what your question was outside of that because I was so worried about to you, you coming to me next. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I think just in, in general, the experience that we give people when you get to, uh, you know, meet in person and, and just kind of take a bet on yourself, your brand, that experience, that story, establishing a new concept to the market is kind of like give the consumer a chance to show you what they want and then listen, right? So we kind of showed up. They said, we love what you're doing, but I want to make it myself. So great. Now we're popping up these stores that have a make your own experience. So I think it's just being really malleable and open to what the consumer is saying they want. And of course, you know, finding and, and leaning on partners to help you get there is, is going to be crucial as well. Can you talk a little bit about the strategy you have in sort of uh, knowing the right number of stores or where you want to be? Yeah. Um, and how you push through what must have a big component of fear and excitement and anxiety. How do you make yeah. that leap to the next door and the next door? Well, I think to be a founder of a business in general, you kind of have to be a little crazy, um, which I assume we can all identify with on this stage. Um, you have to just be a little willing to go for it and push past that fear. It has to just be like this innate ability. Um, and, you know, so I think I've been luckily very... Um, able to kind of not see hurdles or see them and know I can kind of surpass them because we've done it before, we can do it again. Um, and, you know, yeah, I just think it's feeling like it's all possible and trusting. And as far as the strategy, it's really been about, okay, we know we have this incredible brand, which, you know, up until now has been completely self-funded um, for the past nine years. And that's because the customer has been a loyal follower for the, the entirety of that time. We built that community first. So now they want to show up for us when we show up in these retail locations. And that plus flag planting. You know, we really look at the cities that we're opening as like these flag planting locations, like, oh, they're coming to this city, they're coming to that city, rather than just, you know, Main Street in Jersey, where we started and could probably do really well, but kind of by establishing those places, you know, 
Little Words Project standing up a full brick and mortar next to Sephora, I mean, is like blows my mind to this day. And I literally posted a story about that on my way over here. Like, what the is happening? I'm sorry, I know we're not allowed to curse, but I'm a Jersey girl. Anyway, so it's just crazy. I think so for me, it's been flag planting, establishing that brand in these different cool cities that people will be like, wait a minute, what is this? And it leads to that kind of hype that maybe we wouldn't, we didn't have otherwise. You all have such unique signature brands and you've done such an incredible job, um, you know, carving out that niche uh, with the appetite of, you know, you said you walked here and you posted something with the appetite that we all have for newness and new content and innovation and what's next. How I'd love to hear from all of you actually on this one. How do you juggle keeping to your signature core brand, introducing novelty if you choose to, and understanding sort of like how does that work with inventory and replenishments and all of those cycles? Melissa, why don't you kick us off? How do we evolve and introduce new? Okay. So Bake by Melissa will be in business 15 years next year, which... Thanks. Yeah, it's crazy. It feels like 15 years, but it's also been the best 15 years of my life. Um, And we sell bite-sized cupcakes. We have sold bite-sized cupcakes since 2008 when we founded the company. And we really don't deviate much, but when we do, we test and we learn. And we've learned through our experience that that's the responsible way to evolve and try new product. As for the brand itself, I think evolution is essential to any brand, just like a human. We, we grow up, we, try, we become different versions of ourselves, and a brand is a living and breathing and evolving thing. In my case, I like... I feel like I am my brand a little bit. And I've only recently learned to trust my gut and to just really follow my heart and do what makes me happy. Like, you know, if you follow Baked by Melissa on TikTok, you see me make salads. And, you know, which, you know, has gained 1.7 million followers in a very short period of time. And I think that's what makes social media so incredible is that it's this platform that allows you to try new things and evolve yourself, your brand. It's all the same. Um, And your community kind of tells you what they want next. And we're kind of still figuring it all out and piecing it together, but that's what makes business exciting. So um, I think it's really important to try new things and learn. And with Project Polly, right, you have 20-plus partners. Um, How are you thinking, okay, it's time to introduce a new partner or a new category or a new product? How are you thinking about that novelty? Um, Well, I think there's no colors left. Um, But when we've added colors, it's been because we've met people that we've really just wanted to support. Um, Those hats will always be for those organizations. We will never run out of them unless there's, you know, some sort of um, uh, issue. But we always want to make sure that we have those um, and that we don't change them for consistency. But in terms of newness for us, as valuable as our charity partners are, are our artist partners. And that's a place where we're constantly making things new for myself, challenging myself as an artist. And also just people that we've found that we love ourselves that I'm like, 
God, like I need for people to see what this person is doing, you know? So we always kind of have newness there, but also the consistency of the tomato hats um, forever. Rachel, you have such a core product. Um, and so how are you thinking about um, the need to innovate around the product itself or the colorways or like, how do you think about that in terms of gift seasons? And I'm, I'm curious, do you, um, respond to what the customer is asking for, or are you planned out, you know, that far out? I would say it's both. I mean, I, I really agree with what Melissa said about, you know, kind of keeping that consistency, but also grow or die, right? Like, mm -hmm. you have to evolve. You have to get a TikTok. Mm -hmm. If salads are working, you run with salads, you know? So, but I think for me, like, a huge focus of everyday meetings is honestly, how can we just constantly better what we already have. Yeah. So I can't truly say that I'm always sitting there thinking what's next, what's new, or what, what am I gonna do next or new? For me, it's always about like, how can we make this packaging better with the product we already have? Or how can we improve the model of the sleepy tie that I've already created? I mean, I'll also say this, I invented sleepy tie during the pandemic in 2020. We launched in 2021. So we're only a year and a half old, this one innovative product. But I think across all of my brands, in all of my meetings, yes, we're like, okay, we have a little launch coming up this week. You know, I, no one no knows way. about it yet. Actually, I'm literally brain dead from being pregnant right now, but it's tomorrow morning, actually, at 8 a.m. that we're launching this new product. And when we decided we were going to launch this new product, I think we use social media as a platform now in, you know, the questions and the polls, and we like to talk to our consumers and ask them, what do you want to see? What colors are you looking for? So I think that tool is super helpful also to be able to connect with them and actually give the consumer what they want. And for us to be able to listen and produce that, you know, based on facts is incredible. But I would say a majority of my meetings is really focused on how can I improve the product that I already have? Because I think in order to be timeless, in order to stand the test of time, you can never lose sight of what you are, you know? So that's a big but, focus for me right now. And you don't give credit to like, you're new because you're just really good at identifying opportunities. And I think that's what entrepreneurs do. Thanks. You know? You too. Thanks. I, I, I would guess all of us, like we don't try to evolve. It just happens because you're just forced we, to, we meet people or, or there's a global pandemic or we're trying to solve a problem in our own personal yeah. lives because we've been like going to sleep, trying to figure out how to put a, put our hair up and also wake up with it beautiful, you know? Yeah, I guess maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit. I don't You're know. You're not giving yourself maybe, enough no, credit. Maybe I wasn't trying to be self-deprecating, but I'm just saying in general, it's not my focus. So I, I would say... Agreed. It can't be. It can't be because I'm always then, just foc focus on the current you need issue, to focus. the current opportunity. You exactly. Know? exactly. I, no, I agree. Point. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, we don't really Thank focus you. on doing new. We focus on like, you know, doing what we do the best that we can. And then naturally you kind of you create opportunities, but you're really listening to your customers or yourself and yeah, it's random. Yeah. Like, to be honest with you, like I'll be in a meeting, like we have meetings every Tuesday and we're like, all right, what should we be focused on? What's the issue at hand? And it will just happen naturally. We'll be like someone on social media said this and, and then you're we're like, solving a problem. It, everything is solving a problem. I mean, that's, and then that's, that's new what business is. and that's exactly. what, yes, exactly. Yes. So, so, so don't overthink it. It's just yeah. do what you do best and it'll happen naturally. That's the beauty <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, so once it's happened naturally, Kasha, you were talking about um, digital marketing. Like, how are you experimenting around marketing? Or do you have a tried and true marketing plan that you know is going to work for you no matter what? I'm curious to understand how you then decide to get the word out 
Are you evolving the marketing as well? Um, that's a good question. So I, I would say that our focus is, in terms of spreading awareness, it's more about product right now. Um, so I was just gonna say to these two that I, I, you're lucky that you can just problem solve on the spot, but we actually work on a 12 to 18 months timeline. So we have to plan ahead um, far in advance. And so we have our core pieces that live in the line and are seasonless. Um, but we've also introduced this uh, Second Life Selects program that allows us to utilize small batches of dead stock fabrics um, in order to introduce newness and freshness into the brand in small quantities. So we're not taking an inventory risk and it gives us a chance to engage with the consumer um, and see like what sells in terms of prints and color and style. Um, and like I said, they're all small quantities, so we're not sitting on a ton of inventory. This is an example of, of a dead stock piece. Um, so, thanks. <laughs> and then, sorry, I, that was long-winded about product, not marketing. Um, <laughs> but in terms of marketing, we, we're just starting now to invest in consumer experiences outside of, of digital. And so we're, you know, we're experimenting with focus groups, with pop-ups, with events, um, and you know, taking it from there. I, I, it's it's kind of overwhelming to think about where to start in terms of locations. And so I think for us, it's like taking the consumer data that we've gathered gathered through our online sales, and and. Um, gaining a presence in those different cities, but also focusing on the cities where we want a presence and where we want wholesale partners. So like Seattle, there's Nordstrom, there's Amazon, there's Shopbop. We wanna be in all of those places. So why not have a pop-up in Seattle? Um, so that's kind of how we're thinking about it right now. Um, with all the headlines about the the world that we live in, the instability around the election, the the recession that's been looming now probably longer than the recession it will last if it comes. Um, how do you think about uh, price sensitivity, inventory, um, the tone of your marketing? Adriano, as you're expanding and you have such a happy product and it's such a, um, a joyful experience, how are you thinking about the customer going into 2023? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think this might be unique to brands that really do focus on that positive storytelling component or just something that is a lower price point product. I mean, our products start at $25. They range between 25 and 35. So it's really not much of a considered purchase. Um, and the customer, you know, what we found through COVID was we were very lucky to be able to remain open the entire time, not and we had no brick and mortar at the time, but no employee was furloughed. Every single customer um, kind of came through for us during that time by a simple me again posting a story saying, "Guys, we need you to purchase. <laughs> we need to keep everyone employed, and we're going to get through this together." And we kind of lean into the story of we are here to make you feel good. You know, when you're going through something difficult, look down at your wrist and help it. You know, let let that bracelet help you through, and pass it on to someone who needs it more, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're very lucky that our product storytelling has been interwoven into the brand from the very, very beginning. And from the marketing and the growth and all that, it's really been a slow burn the entire time. We really kind of established that footing in who our customer base is. And everywhere we go, we do the same level of slow burn. We don't pour money on anything to make it kind of skyrocket because, you know, that 
dies out quickly. So rather just kind of building that grassroots experience has, has really helped us. Um, and then as we look into this next, you know, God only knows what's coming ahead of us, um, I really just plan to continue to do more of the same, more intentional storytelling around the product, more intentionality behind designs and, and word selection and, you know, an example during the pandemic, we did a, a, um, a Everyday Heroes collection, and we did an entire collection where we gave back proceeds to first responders and health and healthcare workers and so on and so forth. So I think it's just like leaning into what's going on, not ever capitalizing on something awful, but how can you give back in the same vein and just leading with authenticity, which I think we genuinely have been very lucky to be able to do. Um, and that's, you know, a credit not to me, but my team of 40 plus people, largely women, mostly women, with the exception of like my husband and two other husbands. Um, but it's just, we really lean into that. And, and um, I think our customer really responds very well to feeling like they, that we practice what we preach. You've all mentioned your teams or, um, you know, meetings with your teams, having conversations um, and problem solving. How are you thinking as founders and business leaders, how do you think about your workplace culture? Is it something that's just sort of evolving um, over time or uh, are you intentional and deliberate about it in the way in which you are about your customer? Melissa, I'd love to start with you. I think about... <laughs> we, we think about our company culture all the time. Um, so obviously when COVID hit, we went remote and we also were vertical. So we manufacture our product. We didn't close our bakery and we reopened our stores as soon as possible. But then we have our corporate team and I refuse to make people come to work because then they'll quit and find new jobs and they're the best. And we get to do what we love because of our incredible team. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's like even harder now than ever before to maintain a positive culture, but it's always something that needs to be focused on and we can always be better at it, quite honestly. I, I would love to say we have the best culture ever and I think a lot of people, I've got two of my teammates here, I hope they like it, yay! Um, but it takes effort and focus just like everything else and now more than ever, it's a challenge. Sorry if that wasn't good enough. I don't know. It was great. <laughs> um, it, uh, it sounds like a really lovely place to work. Rachel, how about yourself? <laughs> I would agree. I spend a majority of my time thinking about culture. Pretty much think about it in my sleep. Um, I call my sister who's sitting there. She's our chief of operations. And it's pretty much all we talk about, too, is culture. Um, I think it was the hardest thing to learn at the beginning, you know, when I was first making a team is you F up, you know, you make mistakes, you hire people that shouldn't be on your team. And then I learned, you know, the hard way. We at my company, just to give you like a kind of tactical, applicable way that we look at culture is we have five core values at the company. Um, and then this is how we hire, it's how we fire, and it's how we analyze performance at all times at all three of the brands. Those core values are, Carly always has to ring in on one of them, <laughs> add positive energy to all that you do and all that you say, Love what you do from the bottom of your heart with every ounce of your being. Create exceptional experiences. Do what you say. And value your team over your ego. We literally... There, 
we have conversations about those five core values all the time. And I will tell you, it took us eight hours in a room with our leadership team to come up with those core values. And we came up with them, I think, five years ago. And we still apply them every single time when we hire. We ask questions around those questions. But our, my team is everything. You know, as an entrepreneur, you can't do anything or go anywhere without an incredible team. I have 40 amazing people on my team that I'm proud to say that I would go on vacation with. And I, I do take them on vacation. That's, the, that's a really good test. Yeah, no, I, I mean say, it. I just dinner, took them to the vacation. Cape. Wow. It was great. We loved it. But yeah, I mean, you have to care about your culture. And I agree. It's tough to find good people who love what they do, especially with the pandemic. Everyone was analyzing, you know, do I love what I do and am I happy and do I want to change what I do? And, you know, it's, it's a constant effort. Kasha, how about yourself in thinking of um, your brand, but also um, energizing new brands? How are you thinking about um, legacy and culture when you're, when you're thinking about what you build next? Yeah, I completely agree with Rachel. I think any entrepreneur will tell you that you fail more than you succeed. And if you don't, I would love to know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> But you cannot do this without your team. And I think um, you know, one of the biggest strengths an entrepreneur can have is admitting that they can't do it all and they need help. And so making sure that your team is happy and empowered and inspired and energized and wanting to come to work every single day um, is super important. And I, too, lose sleep every night thinking about how to make sure my team is happy. Um, what was the other question? Was that it? Yeah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> you got thought it. it was two parts. Um, well, I'm curious too about you know, there's so much to consider, right? Like, and it's and we've touched on so many things, and yet there's still so many um, elements that you're juggling, both internally and externally, with the marketing and the consumer and inventory and digital. I'm curious, and I'd love to just go down the line. Right now, what is one goalpost that you have? on the horizon that you're really working towards it really like kind of focuses you and your team and your and your brand let's start with you um i think right now it's just getting comfortable where we are um we we love where we are we love the experience of this um pop-up um and just introducing ourselves to people. And, you know, every day it changes. Every day I'm like, oh my gosh, I have the next store planned, which I do. Um, and whether that's gonna be a pop-up or a full-time brick and mortar, you know, I've always kind of just taken all of this stuff step by step. It certainly happened um, on its own because it's for us, what I think about every day, also my team, but um, our impression on the community that we're in and whatever neighborhood we're in, activating within that. So I guess on the short term, it's um, our Thanksgiving plans and, and what we're doing with Casamirna and what we're going to do with Christmas and having everything kind of wrap around that. Rachel, how about yourself? Personally, I have like positivity blinders. Um, my, my team will sometimes look at me and be like, you're almost being too positive about the matter. I, I view every issue as an opportunity. It's, I would say it's the number one key to my success is every time I've been punched, I punched back harder and rose to the next occasion, broke the next ceiling and found a way to get through. There's never been a day where something has hit me or like a tidal wave has come at me where I didn't get back up immediately. So for me, it's like, 
if there's an earthquake, I'm going to say, you know, it gave us the gratitude for the days that there was not an earthquake. And, you know, we can all come together and rise together as a community. I will have a positive comeback for you for anything you could say to me. And, you know, if there's somebody that's in my aura that is not positive and is throwing negativity at me, I will <laughs> flick them very far away from me very quickly. So I would say positivity blinders is my goalpost. I love that. Um, for me, I think that it would be inspiring my team to be really bold, but also patient at the same time. Um, with PF Flyers, you'll see new product coming actually this Friday, um, more in holiday and a lot more coming next year. This is all a test and learn. Um, and so, you know, I want them to be really excited about the work that they've done but success doesn't happen overnight. And so don't beat yourself up and put too much pressure on yourself if we don't see the return we're looking for. Um, and then same thing for Kata. It, you know, we launched a year and a half ago, but uh, it's, it takes time. Success doesn't happen overnight and we're doing a lot of exciting things and just keep working towards our goal um, and staying patient. Adriana? Um, I want a little word on every single person's wrist um, soon. Um, I'd like to establish a really, truly robust omni-channel brand. I think kind of leaning more into the brick and mortar story and, and popping up. And when I say popping up, I mean like just literally establishing brick and mortar stores um, in cities across the nation and internationally that kind of just alert the public to this new brand that's here and, and here to stay and hopefully becoming, you know, the next legacy jewelry brand that's focused completely on kindness. And I don't know that I really even got to give my little spiel, so I'm going to do that really quickly. Each of our bracelets has a, a different inspirational word on it. You can kind of see them here. They're sparkly and adorable. Um, they they are meant to be worn for as long as you need that bit of inspiration and then one day passed along to someone who needs it more. And then each one has a code on the tag that you can use to register and actually then track the bracelet as it moves from person to person. So when I talk about kindness and inclusivity and authenticity, that's really what I'm talking about. The product is what we say we are. Um, so really just kind of trying to establish a stronger foothold in the world at large with the product. And I really truly believe that that's going to happen. It's just a matter of time and hard work and energy and money. Um, but you know, we're on our way. So yeah, that's the goalpost is world domination. And I feel like people can see that and they can feel that. And I think that, oh, you know, you. we all kind of have brands that are like that, yeah. that have, that kind of walk the walk. Yeah. And I know that's something that I think about every single day, you know, walking the walk and like nothing feels better than that, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, yeah, as a person. Totally. Right? Yeah. Melissa, you walked into a room and asked who here had had your cupcakes. Most people did. That must have been a new goalpost in Boston. Um, what are you thinking in terms of like short and long term goalposts for success? Well, I actually only became CEO of Baked by Melissa in December 2019. And in January, the next month of 2020, I stood in front of my whole company at our holiday party, which we have in January because we're a seasonal, you know, our Super Bowl is the month of December. Um, and I said, 2020 is the year of opening in a new market and you know, learning more about our retail customer with such confidence. And then COVID came 
And I can proudly say that we achieved that goal just weeks ago, opening our very first Baked by Melissa retail location in the seaport in Boston, which is incredible. And it truly is just the beginning. And the reason we chose to open our first out-of-market retail location in Boston is because that we saw e-com orders in Boston triple since March 2020. And it was also me. <laughs> you, yeah, you had two babies. Was, yeah, a lot of cupcakes. Um, so, you know, just we at Baked by Melissa, we make people happy with our delicious product that's made entirely by hand with the most delicious ingredients. And that's all we want to continue to do is make people happy, smarter, than we were doing it before. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we have this incredible panel. I want to make sure that we can take questions from the audience. Um, so we're going to do that now. So please raise your hand and someone will come over with a microphone. I see there's one, somebody hiding in the She's back. She's putting her there. jacket on. Um, I have a question for Melissa. So I follow you on TikTok and I'm like obsessed with your content. <laughs> and I just kind of want to know your strategy behind TikTok being such a big way to promote Baked by Melissa when you're kind of just posting more like food recipes, you're not really posting your products. So how do you kind of see that as a strategy? Like was it the one salad recipe that kind of blew you up and you're like, okay, we're just going to go with that? Or, um, yeah, like, kind of why do you use your TikTok to promote not only, like, your lifestyle and your cooking, but also the company, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. The summer of 2017, we spent $80,000 on market research. And you know what they told us after? And they were great. They are great. We've used them again since. They came into my conference room and they said, so basically what we learned is that the brand lives within Melissa. And as long as you are, and as long as Melissa is following her heart, Baked by Melissa will continue to evolve. And that was a moment for me. At the time, I wasn't leading my company. I was, you could only have one leader. But it was the beginning of a journey, I guess, of confidence and embodying what we spent almost $100,000 to learn. And um, it was you the whole time. It was me the whole time. No, and then COVID hit and I love social media, truly. I think it's such an incredible tool for business and creators and just inspiration for everybody. Um, and I made a promise to myself after I felt like I, you know, Instagram launched after Baked by Melissa and I, I felt like I missed the boat. Like I didn't use it as a resource for my business soon enough. And I made a promise to myself that when the next social media, whatever launched, I would learn it even before I wanted to. And so that's what I did. I actually created Melissa Benishai on TikTok and I just started, I wanted to learn it. I wanted to know how to use the app and I started posting the things that I cook because I love to, I do this every, I did, I do this anyway. I make all that stuff anyway. And wow, it was performing much better than what my team at the time kept telling me that 
works best on TikTok, even though I knew they were wrong, but part of being a leader is to pick your battles. Um, so anyway, I started posting from Baked by Melissa because I knew it was a tremendous opportunity. I don't have a strategy, quite honestly. My, my goal, I have a goal, I have a priority, and it's to build a community and to continue to provide them with high quality, consistent content. They tell me what they want and I listen. And I've had many a conversations with my head of marketing. I'm like, Ellen, Ellen, what is the goal? Is the goal to build a community or post videos about cupcakes to build a community? Great. So I'm going to post salads <laughs> and you know, we're still figuring it out, but it's the best fun. It's like so fun. And look, look at you. You came here. You asked me a question about TikTok and it has nothing to do with bite-sized cupcakes. And most people now, they, they recognize me for my voice. It's wild. So I guess just keep watching and we'll see. I've got a question right over here. Um, hi. Uh, I'll just say it, it's fine. Um, I wanted to ask, um, I'm Patty, I'm local business owner, and I actually have products from all of you guys, besides little words, but that's my goal tomorrow. Um, love cut all the clothes. Anyways, legit love all you guys. But I wanted to see, like, when it comes to a growth of a business, what you guys are talking, you guys are the main evolve of the leadership, of the goal, the inspiration. And of course, we can't do what we have with a team. What is one thing that you always focus, besides like, yes, the core values, but like truly to represent the consistency of your brand growing? Because we all know like some of you mamas as well, like you can't be in your business 24 seven. You can't think about it. You're gonna like throw yourself off the building if you do it. How do you, that sounded creepy, sorry guys. How do you do that? I can create that consistency of your branding with you not having to be there all the time. That's a great question. I own a branding agency, so I can touch on that just a little bit. Um, so I definitely think, you know, Melissa's 80 grand well spent. It's, you know, it's all about you. Definitely think the business owner always matters. I think it's about content and the content you give. It doesn't always have to be the highest quality content. I think that's 10% of the time, but I think it's more what you give inside of that content. And so as long as your brand is giving something to the consumer, whether that's an educational tip, an inspirational tip, or just anything that's 100% give and give it quickly, then it doesn't always have to include you. Like my, my salon is called Parlor. You know, we're a world destination. And I am often not seen on that social media anymore because, frankly, I, I don't want to be. And I, want, I didn't want the business to just be associated with me. I wanted it to scale. I wanted it to grow. So our social media manager focuses a lot on education, building a community of hairstylists, not just, you know, potential clients. And so I would say it's all about the give. And if you can give without it being from you then that's a big win, you know? Yeah, I'll, I, I don't know. Is my mic working? Yeah. I'll add to that. I think that the pandemic really um, heightened the consumer's awareness of what brands really stand for and really having that desire to um, have an emotional connection to a brand before they invest in it. And so for us, um, the, those things that we stand for are female first, sustainability, inclusivity. So the team always knows that 
no matter what part of the process or strategy we're talking about, it needs to include those three things. Um, and then to Rachel's point, every, every brand has a unique founder story. And I think it's really important to tell that story to kind of um, create that emotional connection and, and that um, make sure your brand is relatable to the consumer. I would just add, if you can, yeah, um, the team and really trying to make sure you're establishing a, a good foundation of people that, that can help you know, help you move the needle, but also that is going to make your dream their own. And I think, you know, when you employ people at a startup, a lot of these people are taking pay cuts to be there. They're not, they know they could go somewhere else and make more money. And so you do have to focus on culture. You have to care about the things that they tell you. And I mean, I employ largely late millennials and, you know, a, a handful of Gen Z young women who, you know, struggle with mental health. So we bring in a therapist and then give two free therapy sessions a month to our girls so that they have that opportunity to like work on what works, work on the things that will help them be really value adding to the company. And if it weren't for them, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do this or this business wouldn't survive or be what it is, right? Because the culture, good positive culture breeds positive culture. So I think it's just making sure that you're finding those people. And, and you know what, in the beginning, they don't necessarily even have to be extremely skilled. <laughs> I, I feel like I've raised a lot of my young women to be, I mean, I'm 32 and most of them are kind of younger than I am. Um, but I feel like I, most of them, this is their first job that they ever had. So it's like learning from me in, in a way that's very burdensome because you want to do them right. But you know, at the same time, it's great because they're malleable and they want to just learn and work um, well, you grow with them. You grow yeah. with them. Yeah. yeah. And you learn. Oh my God, I learned. So it's also the hardest part of being a business owner by far is being a leader and running and, and in, in, inspiring people to like wake up every day for not a ton of money <laughs> to do the job, you know, really, really well. And it's hard. So, but, but it's worth it if you get it right. And when you get it wrong, it's important to kind of skirt, get right out of that situation because otherwise you're stuck <laughs> and it's not fun in, in that direction either. Um, but yeah, so I think leaning in and trusting and knowing that you can't be everywhere and you just got to try and hopefully you're putting out the, the energy that will attract the right people to you. I have a question for Nikki. Um, Nikki is my cousin, and I just want to say that so this makes sense. But um, you talked about you talked about um, Thanksgiving and Christmas plans, yeah. and yeah. growing up, the holidays were so family oriented for us, really important. Yeah. And your whole brand is all about literally started yeah. with feeding the community yeah. and making them feel like family. So. If you have anything to share, how yeah. are you planning to make them feel like family? I mean, uh, I guess I didn't really tell you guys my founder story. And un unlike, um, you know, most of the people up here who, like, totally kill it and, like, having their face on all of this stuff, for me, I am totally not attached or up until this point have, like, you won't find my face on anything. It's about the organizations that we represent. It's about the... Um, people that we collaborate with, um, and mainly because we did start out feeding people. Um, we thought it was going to be 20 families, and it ended up being about 2,500. Um, along the way, we met people um, that we felt like really kind of 
change lives every single day. And that's what each one of these hats represents, is another organization that changes people's lives every day in different ways. And we say feed each other in different ways, right? Um, so we're really lucky, like, people buy these hats and they're going to get asked, why do you have a tomato on your head? And you're talking about the organization that it represents. And they're so deserving and they deserve their names to be said and for them to be supported outside of me. But it's creating a conversation. And for us, that hat's life just starts when it goes out the door. So it's my job and, and the people that I work with um, to tell that story of those organizations and to lead people there. Um, and the Seaboard's been great for that. Um, but for us, it's, it's really important that we maintain physical work with them outside of even the money that we raise for the hats. And I think that people are looking for that. You know, I certainly am. Um, you know, selfishly, this is, this is something that makes me feel good every day. And at the end of the day, like, that's really what it's about. And I feel like the people that are around us, the people that wear poly hats, they feel the same, so. Everybody asks me why I have a tomato oh, on my hat. I love that so much. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like people wear a black dog hat, right? And you know, they want you to know that they went to the vineyard and all of this stuff. Well, we're that, but we're also another part of it. It's like, hey, I'm philanthropic. I know about this organization, and let me tell you about that as well. Um, and it's pretty, pretty awesome. But also, everyone's awesome. Yeah. This is, this is an amazing group to be a part of, and thank you for somehow letting me end up here with you guys, for real. Thank you. You told me that story when I came into your store, and you didn't even know I was your new neighbor. I did. I was blown away. Oh, that means a lot. And I got a green one. Woo! And I've gotten a lot of cupcakes. <laughs> one last question from the audience. I just see one hand, but there are other hands. Hi, um, my question is for Kasha. I just had a question on, you've got two very different brands. One's 1930s PF Flyers, then you launch Kata in 2020, I think it was. So do you ever, I mean, to balance the marketing strategy for those two different, you have a very storied, you know, a lot of history there with PF Flyers, but then you're, you've given birth to this new brand, which is really exciting. Do you ever pull from anything that's been done before from PF Flyers, or are you looking at bringing the new strategy with your new business into kind of the old school? That's a great question. Um, our strategy for PF Flyers is all about evolution and making sure that we stay true to our heritage because we do have a really loyal consumer following as it stands. Um, you know, I, I got to inherit this brand with 70,000 followers on Instagram, so uh, not many people get to do that. <laughs> and um, not many people have the history and authenticity and heritage um, already kind of like established for them when they first um, set out to launch or relaunch a brand. So taking that, but putting my spin on it and what's important to me and what's what I'm passionate about, um, including my story, like I said, making that emotional connection for the consumer um, and doing both. So how do we have a good balance of heritage, but also introduce newness? And a lot of that is going to be around um, this idea of female first. So it'll be both to answer your question. Yeah. 
Hi, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, really appreciate your time and sharing with us. I'm sure you're all extremely busy and have lots going on, so we really genuinely appreciate your time. Um, I'm not quite sure if you guys have um, you know, male business partners or male funders or you know, if any males on your team, but wanted to know about any tips or strategies to deal with male investors, male business partners, and if... <laughs> yeah. And uh, what, you, what you've learned is really, truly that special female superpower in business and how to communicate maybe that to men. I don't want to offend any men. Okay. Like that's my disclaimer. So I have found from my experience, so I founded Bake by Melissa with four men who were older than me and smarter than me. I was 24. I still, I, my, my partner, I, my, my executive team currently consists of three people, myself, my CFO, who is a man, much older than me, and Ben, our chief strategy officer who joined my team um, in August, the beginning of August. They're great, so I'm not, I'm not they're the best ever. But I have dealt with like more challenging men, I guess, and I think they're, the, the challenges are what made me and now like fuel me. So men tend to be like overly confident and, you know, they, they, to a fault, most, not Ben and not Tim, but most of the others. And no, but it's true. And I, I'm open with Ben about that. And women, I think on the other hand, tend to not have enough confidence. And I surely didn't, especially when we founded the company. Um, but, and my brother had confidence in me and that's ultimately why Baked by Melissa exists. And it was his vision, not mine, but I kind of earned my confidence through my experience. And I do think that going out of your comfort zone, you know, what's right, like inside of you and you know what you should do. So you should always do that, even if you're scared, but also don't let like people who challenge you or people who don't believe in you win. Let them like fuel you, I guess. If somebody thinks that I can't do something, like maybe it's because I'm a girl, maybe it's because they, it's entirely because of who they are and it has nothing to do with me. Just let it, you know, drive you, I guess, and, and give you more motivation to prove yourself to yourself. You're going to work with all types of people in your life, male, female, really hard personalities, most of the time, actually, even. When things are great, I think that's the hardest part. So just you are going to live with you for the rest of your life and always do what's right, follow your heart, and never respond when you're feeling emotional. You just write a note in your phone and go to sleep or smoke a joint. <laughs> smoke a joint. The <laughs> <laughs> That's iconic. I think you should also match the energy match the energy of the room you're in. Um, for me, I don't look at the gender of the person that I'm in a business arrangement with. I've been told by women that were my elders when I opened an 11,000 square foot salon and I was 24, somebody looked at me and said, you know, you should be really careful and I don't know if you should sign that lease. And I said, I'm signing the lease and I'm fine, you know, and I, I killed it. But I think, um, you know, this week I had a business meeting. I was doing a pitch for my agency to a hedge fund, and it was a big round table group of men, and they were sitting at the table on the Zoom call like this, and I was like this. And, you know, I just, 
match their energy. You know, like you want to come to the table with confidence. You're big energy. Thanks. Like I I met them where they met me. You know, like gotta feel the room. So, thank you. Um, Yeah, that's all. Thank you so much for everything. This has like been so informational. But so I work in the like HR space, and Rachel, Melissa, you guys both talked about culture uh, and your people and how important they are to you and your organizations. So naturally, this resonated with me, and I'm really curious. Given the current talent landscape, I think every organization can all um, agree it's not easy finding people right now, and it's not easy retaining them. So my question is. How do you guys keep your people happy and how do you keep them working for you? You first. Okay. (laughs) We're working on that too. Um, I think it's always hard actually. And, you know, structure. It's what we're working on and like our people are obviously so important. And actually Ben came in as our chief strategy officer because we know that we need to I know in my head what our strategy is, but to make sure that it's executed throughout the organization from top to bottom and we're providing the team with structure, like goals, KPIs, everything they need to truly succeed and understand what success even means and what happens if they do succeed, I think ultimately is what allows you to retain great people. Easier said than done, but we're working on it. For me, it's first and foremost making sure I have someone who's working inside of their unique ability and that they want their job. And then I would say it's, it's creating agreements, not you know dictations. Yeah. I have constant communication with my team, and I'm like, "What do you think it should be?" Like, I'll give you an example. At my salon, we just launched a new assistance program that has three assistants, junior stylists, who are helping everybody on the floor, and it affects every single hairstylist that works for me. And we knew, my sister and I, she's our beauty director, She, we knew that it was going to be challenging to put in a new program. And we knew that people were going to bitch. And we were like, let's see what's going to happen. And we knew people were going to be unhappy. So instead of us saying, this is the way it's going to be, instead, we have conversations with them asking, what do you think it should be? You know, and I think giving everybody a voice is something that's super important to us. We have a really high retention rate for employees. At the beginning, it was not that. We, you know, we had to learn. But um, yeah, I think when you make an agreement with a human from a psychological standpoint, instead of telling them what to do and who to be and what to do in their life, they want to be there and they want to be a part of the arrangement with you as opposed to a dictation. They're taking ownership. Yeah, ownership and accountability. Is that that was great. I feel like that was great. Thank you. Thank everybody for coming tonight. If you have not had an opportunity to shop. If you have not had an opportunity to shop these incredible brands, um, they are available through the end of the year at The Current on Seaport Boulevard, our pop-up shops, um, and Little Words Project will be opening their permanent store on Seaport Boulevard um, in the coming weeks. So please um, pop into the stores, learn more from the founders, check out um, 
the way in which they've imagined brick and mortar. It's really, really exciting and inspiring. Um, you're welcome to stay for a little bit and help yourself to some dinner or some drinks. We have food from Mizanon here tonight and drinks from Trillium. Uh, I want to thank our incredible panelists. Thank you for doing your homework. Um, it was an incredible conversation. And thank you, too, for showing up and, and being so involved. So have a great night, everybody. Thank you, Thank you.